Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Martin Cooper. Marty is an engineer, inventor, entrepreneur, and futurist. He led the creation of the world's first cell phone at Motorola. This Saturday, April 3rd, is the 48th anniversary of the first call made in public on the cell phone. And the call was made on 6th Avenue at 52nd in New York City by Marty. In 2007, Time Magazine named him one of the 100 best inventors in history because he has revolutionized how we communicate. As a serial entrepreneur, Martin and his wife, Arlene Harris, have co-founded numerous wireless technology companies, cellular business systems, SOS wireless communications, Great Calls, and ArrayCom. Marty is currently chairman of the Dana LLC and a member of the FCC's Technology Advisory Council. In 2013, Marty became a member of the National Academy of Engineering, from whom he received the Charles Stock Draper Prize for Engineering. Marty was awarded the Marconi Prize for being a wireless visionary who reshaped the concept of mobile communication. He was inducted in the Consumer Electronic Hall of Fame and Wireless Histories Foundation's Wireless Hall of Fame. The Radio Club of America awarded Marty a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2010. He is a lifetime member of the IEEE, was president of its Vehicular Technology Society, and received its Centennial Medal. Marty is also a Prince of Asturias Lorraine. Marty and I will be having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey and his new book, Cutting the Court, The Cell Phone Has Transformed Humanity. Good morning, Marty. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderful, Johnny. Nice to be on your show. Fantastic. It is a pleasure and honor to have you with me, sir. Cutting the Court is an excellent read. It is a beautiful story of your life, the collective effort in birthing the first cell phone, and the possibilities that is ahead of us through the lens of humanity. So thank you so much, and congratulations, sir. Thank you, Johnny. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from the perspective of being a first-generation immigrant to the U.S. Uh, my folks uh, emigrated from uh, Russia. Uh, they had some uh, terrible times there. Uh, they were literally driven out of their homes by uh, Cossacks uh, during the uh, Russian Revolution. Uh, and so they never talked much about about their uh, history in Russia. Uh, they were grateful that they could be in this new world. They, they actually emigrated to Canada. So uh, I spent my uh, uh, early years uh, in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, and there's not much you can say about Winnipeg other than it's very cold. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, my my folks always worked hard. I spent a lot of time alone, and maybe that's why I uh, uh, developed the uh, imagination uh, that I've had. So, uh, uh, but I've been a, have, have had an extraordinarily lucky life, and I only wish you didn't spend all that time uh, reading my uh, CV 
if we could have been spending <laughs> talking to each other. Well, thank you so much, sir. You have a wonderful, fascinating story about growing up in between Canada and United States. And I thought that was a beautiful timing for some 100 years later. We're having the same situation where people are trying to find a new life, land of opportunity in the United States. And the beautiful story, what I gather in your case, sir, is this. Had you been in Canada, America would not have had you to be the awesome person you are in accomplishing the things that you have accomplished. Well, this is a country of opportunity. Uh, and uh, one thing I don't, I don't think we really appreciate that the uh, the other countries first of all you know our our system our system mm-hmm. of democracy has been copied by uh, all of the successful countries of the world mm-hmm. and and the countries that will never achieve the kind of of progress that we've made people worry so much about china well maybe mm-hmm. we should worry about them but but they don't have the freedom uh, of opportunity that we have uh, and they will never achieve the kinds of things that have happened in uh, in our country and in other countries that that have adopted uh, a democratic process. You're right. One of the things that reminded me in what you just said, I had a friend that was from Eastern Europe. What's interesting, you mentioned about America as a land of opportunity and the fact that growing up here, you can imagine possibilities and so forth. And in the situation like when she visited her relatives in Eastern Europe, she realized that same age with the nieces and nephews that she has, that they somehow, the thought process, whether it's by design or not, somehow the system does not allow you to, quote unquote, daydream a whole lot. Let me do the dreaming and you do the doing, I guess, for like for a better term. Well, that has been such an important part of my life. Uh, mm-hmm. As I mentioned before, my folks worked real hard. We, I spent a lot of time alone. Uh, I became a, an avid reader. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, when people call, refer to me as a futurist, I tell them that's easy. <laughs> the reason I know so much about the future, I, I spent so much time there. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as I say, I'm, I'm very, very uh, lucky in that regard. That's fantastic. Who were the major influences when you were growing up? Well, my mother was a dynamo. She uh, she never uh, stopped moving. Uh, I can still remember when I was a, a little child, whenever we would walk somewhere, she was always going at high speed, and I had to run to keep up with her. Uh, and I had to do that most of my life. <laughs> and and, and she, she would talk to anybody. We, yeah, we, yeah. We'd be stand, standing in line to to go to a movie, and she would be chatting with people around. So uh, I learned how to do that, and that's why I'm so comfortable talking to you this morning. (laughs) That's wonderful. It brought plenty of memories when I was reading that part of your book, the relationship that you had with your mom and the role model she is. And interestingly enough, at that moment in time, when you talk about the early years, your mom and your dad, they were in the survival mode. They were in the situation where I need to provide for my family. And that's it. Yeah, the mindset. It was it's totally awesome. Yeah, you know, we uh, they, they came here with nothing, literally mm-hmm. nothing, uh, as, as did their uh, my mother's father, uh, and somehow the whole family managed to survive. Uh, I don't recall ever having a, a hungry moment in, in my, <laughs> uh, my whole life. That's in fact, beautiful. I still don't. I I, I still eat too much. 
<laughs> I think we all do. What fascinated you about engineering? You know, for, for my earliest memory, Johnny, uh, mm-hmm. I have wanted to know how things work. Uh, I, I just I just have this intense desire to to uh, understand things, uh, and I knew as for my earliest memories that I was going to grow up being whatever was an engineer. When I was five years old, I don't think I knew what an engineer was, but there was always uh, it was always clear in my mind when I uh, uh, was in uh, in uh, grammar school. I knew I was going to go to a technical high school, which I did. And when I went to that high school, I knew exactly which college I was going to go to because there, there was only one a really good engineering university in the, in the Chicago area where I grew up, and that was uh, Illinois Institute of Technology. Uh, Illinois Tech was an amazing school then. It's uh, even more amazing today. I'm now on, on their board of trustees. So uh, uh, I, I, as I say, I just uh, always knew that I was going to be there. When I was uh, uh, five years old, I, I was on the street watching some older boys. Uh, they might have been as much as eight years old, and they were burning a piece of paper using a, a, a lens, magnifying mm-hmm. glass. Right. And I was amazed at that. And I ended up breaking the bottom of a Coke bottle off because it looked like a lens. And I, I, I still remember my disappointment that I couldn't focus that thing. So, uh, I've been experimenting ever since and and taking things apart and sometimes I can even put them back together again. Uh, and that's where I learned about the uh, most important driver or one of the most important drivers in my life that uh, you, you if you're going to experiment and learn things, you are going to have failures on occasion. Right. And, uh, that's why when, when I joined Motorola, the the theme of the founder of Motorola, a guy named Paul Galvin, was do not fear failure, reach out. And, and that really has been uh, my philosophy my whole life. And I have had a, a, a sizable number of failures in my life. And but fortunately, the world has tolerated me, and here I am talking to you. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's a wonderful story. In reading the various stages of your life as you go through, all the way from the time when you decide to join the U.S. Navy. I thought that was a pretty cool deal. And of course, in your lifetime, and I say this respectfully, sir, you are able to see some of the greatest evolution in technology. Boy, you you are certainly right about that. Uh, People don't realize how fast technology has evolved over over the past years. But even when my team and I created the first uh, cell phone, mm-hmm. uh, there there was, uh, you won't believe this, there were no personal computers, uh, no digital camera. The Internet had not been invented. Uh, we had uh, no things mm-hmm. like these large-scale integrated circuits that we have today. They were really primitive times. And when I was born, radio had just been invented. <laughs> there was... There was no WGN. So uh, uh, imagine all of that happening in one lifetime. It is startling. And that's the only advantage that I have over all you young people is that I have experienced uh, (laughs) all this change in in life. And you know what? what The most important thing that comes out of that experience is that I know 
that those kinds of things, those changes, those uh, uh, marvelous new technologies are just mm-hmm. starting to happen. So people mm-hmm. that are bored today are going to go through that same experience. They're going to they're, they're going to look back when they're old and think about how primitive these times are that we've, uh, we're living through today. Right, right. So true. The energy, though, when you walk through your life and the team that you guys have at Motorola and the energy of the country and the world, perhaps at that moment, was there's always something better. How can we make it better? I think now, on the other hand, whether it's by design or just the nature of the situation, I think as a whole, there's greater number of people that tend to be a little bit more relaxed and, okay, well, your yeah, life is good. They're not really looking and trying to plan for the future. Not daydreaming as much, I guess, in a good way. Daydreaming in a good way that is about the future. Yeah, well, it's hard to uh, discriminate between good and bad daydreaming. Right. Uh, I'd like to think <laughs> that, that um, uh, at least a good part of my daydreaming is good. But, you know, if you dream about things like uh, uh, eliminating disease and eliminating poverty, mm-hmm. uh, those are pretty good daydreams. That's correct. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and those are the kinds of things that I've been focused on in more recent times. Uh, and, and it's startling to have that belief, to, have, to start out being an optimist, where mm-hmm. you uh, want the world to be better and you just will it to be better, and to find out that it really is getting better and that technology uh, has mm-hmm. the potential of of uh, solving all these problems. There's no reason for people to be poor. There's no right. reason to be for people to be sick. So right. uh, daydreaming is, uh, at least in, in my life, an important thing. If you're working at a job where your daydreaming interferes with your uh, uh, achieving your uh, hourly objective, that may be a different kind of problem. <laughs> but, but I've been lucky enough not to face that problem. So true, so true. Why did you decide to write Cutting the Cord? Uh, my original intent was not to tell any story about myself, but there were two important issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one was uh, I wanted people to understand uh, the vision of the guys at Motorola that, that tolerated me for 30 years because uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was never a corporate guy uh, and, and let me do the things uh, that that uh, were so important. Uh, it, 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 I wanted to tell the story about how it was the Motorola that created the environment that allowed the cell phone to happen it was not the telephone company. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the phone company had, had somehow persuaded the world that uh, that cellular technology came out of uh, the Bell system. I don't know if you were, you were too young to yeah. remember the Bell system, but uh, they mm-hmm. were the monopoly that ran everything. Uh, and they came up with this idea of the cellular, uh, and their solution to cellular was car telephones. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just never believed that. We at Motorola have found out that when you give somebody a, a, a two-way radio, you know what a two-way radio is, Johnny? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, sir. Please use. You give mm-hmm. them a two-way radio they can hold in their hands, uh, and they have the freedom, freedom to be anywhere. They were much more effective than the people that had two-way radios that were uh, stuck in cars. And here are the bell system that told us that the only way that we're going to be able to communicate 
uh, is either we got a pair of wires that chain us to the wall or we're stuck in your car. That didn't make any sense. I wanted to tell that, uh, 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 that story. And the, the final thing is I wanted at least the upcoming engineers, the, the youngsters who are going to be engineers, to know that ideas don't happen tamely. This, this con- concept of uh, having a eureka, uh, a eureka moment, yeah. <laughs> a, a eureka moment, it doesn't make any uh, sense at all. You have to spend a lifetime building, having experience, learning things, uh, and as you do that, the ideas get bigger and better. So those are the uh, kinds of issues that I ended up wanting to express in this book, and I hope I did it to some reasonable degree. I'm not a professional writer, uh, but uh, that was my objective, Johnny. It's beautiful. Everything published in the book is from the heart. So it's just beautiful from that perspective. The team works together collectively. And you're right. You're talking about building something. It's not quite there yet, but we're building this skyscraper, so to speak. But it got stuck with a foundation somewhere. And that's what you guys were able to do. And then eventually you had the beautiful finished product. So that's fantastic from that perspective. One of the people that actually inspired you is Giuliano Marconi. How did Marconi inspire you, sir? Well, I didn't learn about uh, Marconi until uh, relatively recently, uh, mm-hmm. but this guy was extraordinary. He was an engineer, uh, but really that was not uh, his strength. Uh, he, first of all, had an imagination. He heard about this thing called radio, and he decided that he was going to make radio practical. Up until that point, uh, this was uh, 120 years ago, uh, radio was a laboratory something. People... Uh, mm-hmm. would achieve a, a thing like, uh, at, at Marconi's time, a scientist uh, had a radio transmitter and he made a bell ring across the uh, in the same room, across the room, uh, and that was the extent of what radio was. It was a, it was a curiosity. And he decided he was going to make that practical, and he just kept working it and working at it. And he built this transmitter, uh, in the, actually in Canada, Nova Scotia, and uh, his uh, ideal was to talk across the ocean. Well, talk. He was going to send Morse code. <laughs> he just kept building this transmitter bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the time he got done, it was literally uh, telephone poles, hundreds of yards apart with wires strung on it. He had no idea exactly what he was doing. He just kept making this thing bigger and transmitting more and more power until finally he managed to send an SOS across the Atlantic Ocean. It was that persistence that I admired so much. Mm -hmm. And uh, so so he uh, turned that uh, marginal event of sending a a mirror SOS, uh, he turned it into a real company, uh, ended up putting radios on ships uh, when the uh, Titanic, uh, literally hundreds of people were saved because their operator managed to get an emergency uh, message out and and, uh, got some other ships uh, into the area. So uh, Marconi ended up with a a remarkable life. Uh, As you notice in the book, I got to meet his Mm -hmm. daughter, Mm -hmm. the uh, beautiful Princess Electra, 
how many princesses did you meet? That in itself was an inspiring moment. Yes, yes, definitely. I thought the book was beautifully crafted. I loved the various photos that was included in it. It's a walk back in time and a sense of appreciation of all these things. And it's like, I can't believe all this happened. <laughs> You're inspiring me because of that. Because that's exactly how I feel. I can't believe, you know, I'm sitting here looking out my window. I'm not bragging now, but I'm uh-huh. looking out my window at the at the Pacific Ocean, uh, and, and that's exactly what goes through my mind. Is I can't believe uh, that uh, <laughs> that I'm lucky enough to be here and and, and talking to you. Well, sir, you're an inspiring person, no question about that. Your book, the words, there's so much humility and humbleness. It's like one of the things I tell people, and of course, with so much respect, and I say that respectfully for all the guests, but when I talk about the guests to the general public, right? And I said, you guys need to understand, we are ordinary people that happen to do extraordinary things. In the end, we're all the same. So we inspire one another in our own particular chosen area of interest that we are involved with. And so each and every one of you has the capacity to do just that. So don't ever feel like, well, I've been shortchanged. Oh, you really express that uh, extraordinarily. That's why uh, one of my passions now is education. Uh, You know, if what you just said is true, uh, everybody has the potential to do something important. It doesn't have to be uh, technical inventions. It could be uh, in the arts. It could be in teaching. Right. But in order to do that, you do have to get educated. Uh, And uh, at the moment, we Mm -hmm. are uh, on the brink of of being able to bring education uh, in ways that have never existed before uh, to everybody. Right. That's what the uh, the internet uh, and the uh, fact that we're all connected, uh, all of that uh, has the potential of of making everybody smarter and more capable. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and yet uh, there are uh, swaths of our country, uh, both geographically and and uh, demographically that mm-hmm. uh, where people don't have access to the internet where they don't have uh, cellular service uh, right. and uh, that i i have that passion today and i'm working very hard uh, trying to get our government to f- uh, either force people uh, or figure out some way to make sure that everybody has the mm-hmm. opportunity to have an education that involves access to the internet that has the latest educational processes. So, uh, what you I, I didn't mean to take off on your no 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 but, it's fantastic but, but I, I love it. We 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 all have that potential. Yes. And, and exercising that potential has only one important reason, and that's to make the world better. The world right. has been getting better continuously in in history, uh, and the uh, potential is for that to uh, explode in the future uh, and to have uh, everybody benefit from from all these new technologies. So true, so true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Teachers Radio, 
Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Martin Cooper. Marty is an engineer, inventor, entrepreneur, and futurist. He led the creation of the world's first cell phone at Motorola. This Saturday, April 3rd, is the 48th anniversary of the first cell phone call made in public. The call was made on 6th Avenue at 52nd in New York City by Marty. In 2007, Time Magazine named him one of the 100 best inventors in history because he revolutionized how we communicate. We're having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey and his new book, Cutting the Cord. The cell phone has transformed humanity. Marty, when did the concept of mobile phones originate? The first real mobile phones were actually built uh, by Motorola, the ones that really <laughs> worked well. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the whole concept of mobile phones is nothing more than radio, but it's radio going in both directions. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, believe it or not, the basic idea of, of radio being used to communicate uh, really was by a guy named uh, Guelmo uh, Marconi, uh, and he did that 120 years ago. Uh, I guess you mentioned, we mentioned him mm-hmm. uh, earlier in, yeah. in this uh, show. Uh, and uh uh, the the only thing that changed uh, around the time that I was uh, born is that people figured out how, uh, when they invented a battery that you could put a two-way a radio in a car and have that mm-hmm. radio talk uh, and listen. Uh, and that was the uh, what uh, started out two-way radio. And two-way radios at the beginning really became, were the province of uh, police departments. Because uh, uh, having a radio, a two-way radio in a car, uh, made it possible to have uh, resources, police officers out in the field, uh, and you could reach out to them and get them to a, a, a an event, uh, whether it was a robbery or an accident, and get them to their to that places in minutes. It's, it's, so the the concept of two-way radio is. Deploying resources efficiently, and so the uh, after the police departments got this thing, businesses figured out uh, that they could run their businesses more efficiently, and pretty soon it, it just became obvious that you couldn't run businesses that had resources that were out moving around without two-way radio, and that's the uh, the concept, the engineering concept that mm-hmm. I grew up with uh, at Motorola. And, and so it was a really not a big leap to think about going from businesses doing that to having everybody mm-hmm. be more efficient if you could be in touch, if you could reach out and and uh, talk to somebody else, uh, no matter where they were and, and better what the time was. Uh, and, and so uh, really uh, what people don't think about it that way Cellular communications uh, has really become the lubricant of our lives. It makes our lives uh, much easier. It gives us the freedom to be places uh, to be more productive than we would have been uh, otherwise. So uh, that, that was really the essence of this battle that mm-hmm. uh, that we at Motorola had with the Bell system. The uh, Bell system. Uh, as you may recall, I can't tell how old you are, but you may be too too young to even remember the Bell System. The Bell System was was a monopoly, uh, 
If you wanted mm-hmm. a telephone, mm-hmm. you had to rent it from the bell system. They wouldn't even sell it to you. They wanted mm-hmm. to have a mm-hmm. monthly recurring thing. Uh, and their idea of what cellular telephony was was that uh, uh, that uh, you had to have a cell phone in the car. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we had already learned uh, at Motorola that uh, – that uh, putting a, a radio in somebody's hands that, that would let them move around and talk wherever they were, it was the future. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, we got into a big battle with Bell System. Well, the Bell System was the biggest company in the world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Motorola was a relatively small company in, in Chicago. Uh, but the uh, my bosses at Motorola, uh, Bob Galvin was the chairman of the board. He was the the uh, the uh, son of the founder, uh, and he literally, by by uh, giving me the ability to build that first phone, he bet the company. He bet, bet, spent a hundred million dollars of, and by the way, that was more like a billion dollars right. back in the nineteen sixties. He, he spent all of that money without ever getting a nickel before we sold the first uh, cell phone in uh, mm-hmm. 1983. So uh, I, I was just so lucky, John, to get, to get in that environment and to have these uh, visionaries uh, uh, taking on the biggest company uh, in, in the world. It's, uh, as we keep repeating in this uh, show, I'm just a very lucky guy. <laughs> Every moment in time, every generation, every decade has its box. And so in reading your book, what's interesting about it is that, like you were talking about Ma Bell, well, life is good. Why innovate? We're making money. Everybody's happy. You want to communicate with somebody in Asia? Sure. Why not? Undersea cable, there you go. But then you got this group of people that say, see, we can do it better. That's what fascinates me from that perspective is that ingenuity and is that curiosity of life that became the beam that drove you guys forward. And so that was fantastic. When did the breakthrough occur for you? Well, the, the, uh, the minute we understood that the, the, there was the potential mm-hmm. to, uh, to have everybody have a telephone, we were convinced that these phones had to be wireless. We, the story yeah, we yeah. told was that, that uh, someday when you were born, you would be assigned a phone number, and if you didn't <laughs> answer the phone, you had died. So, yeah. so you know, we, we just we had that vision, <laughs> and uh, but we're almost there today, Johnny. That's right. I agree today, with there that. Are, yeah. yeah. There are there are more cell phones today. There are more telephones today than there are people. And, right. and, and uh, about two thirds of the world uh, actually have phones. So yeah. uh, that's, that's that's another measure that you can make about why what you just said is so important. Your perspective was so important that if you say, "Oh boy, we've made all that progress. We can stop and rest now." Wait a second. There's another third of the world left. Right. There are still a lot of very poor people in the world. No excuse for that. We have enough productivity in the world today, so that nobody has to be poor. So, right. Uh, and 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 the, the driver that we have in our society is competition. Mm-hmm. If uh, mm-hmm. somebody has an idea and they express it, uh, 
they don't uh, are not the only ones that can exercise that idea. Somebody can say, "I got a better idea." Right. And that's right. Competition is something that just didn't exist in the Bell system. They were the the supreme mm-hmm. power. Right. They had an right. outfit called Bell Laboratories. Brilliant mm-hmm. people, but they were not driven to beat other people. They were, could run at their own rate uh, and and, and uh, uh, produce, uh, deploy technologies whenever they felt like it. Right. That, that's right. not the way we have it today. We today we we have it today. If somebody has an idea, and they could go out and work hard uh, and persuade other people to adopt their technology. They get funded independently. Uh, they can market uh, in a free way. The government can't stop them from marketing unless they tell lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that co- competition uh, is what uh, makes things happen faster uh, and uh, to the benefit of society. So true. Very, very true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast, uh, available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. My guest is Martin Cooper. Marty is an engineer, inventor, entrepreneur, and futurist. He led the creation of the world's first cell phone at Motorola. This Saturday, April 3rd, is the 48th anniversary of the first cell phone call made in public. This call was made on 6th Avenue at 52nd in New York City by Marty. In 2007, Time Magazine named him one of the 100 best inventors in history because he had revolutionized how we communicate. We're having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey and his new book, Cutting the Cord, The Cell Phone Has Transformed Humanity. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Marty, let's talk about that first phone call you made. This is awesome. How much PR went into your first public cell phone call using the Dynatech, which is, happens to be short for dynamic total area coverage? Well, uh, uh, you know, our whole purpose in going to New York with this first phone uh, is uh, we were in a battle with the biggest company in the world. Uh, we had to get the attention uh, of the Congress, uh, of the Federal Communications Commission, and our way of doing that was to get publicity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, our PR people uh, g- uh, got an appointment to uh, be on uh, what was the equivalent of the, the uh, Today Show. Right. Actually, I was going to be on television on the morning of <laughs> April 3rd, and I w- wake up in the morning to a telephone call, and they said, we've been bumped. You, uh, we, they uh Something, some big event has happened, and we can't be on television. Uh, but this PR person said, "Well, I, I'm going to uh, get a, a, a radio reporter, somebody mm-hmm. just like you, Daddy." But except <laughs> he came out to to meet me on, uh, and I told him, "Look, and I don't want to sit in a room uh, talking to somebody in a chair. Let's show him what mm-hmm. the freedom of portal communications can really be like." So yeah. I met him on the street. And there we were walking along, and I had to make a phone call. And I thought, <laughs> I, I didn't plan this out, which is a perfect example of how I don't uh, think ahead uh, uh, in in uh, some ways. Uh, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to call my counterpart in the Bell system, the guy that's really trying to promote uh, <laughs> cell phones and cars. And so I reached in my pocket and pulled out my little uh, printed address book, now, who today would have a printed 
book of telephone numbers. So uh, <laughs> and and I called uh, Joel Engel's number, and amazingly, he answered. Not his mm-hmm. secretary, uh, and and I uh, said, uh, "Hi, Joel. It's uh, it's Marty Cooper." He says, "Hi, Marty." Uh, not thrilled. Uh, I said, uh, Joel, I'm calling you on a cell phone. He says, really? I said, yeah, but but a real cell phone, a personal, handheld, portable cell phone. Silence on the other end of the line. I I have a sense that Joel is gritting his teeth. But uh, to to this day, uh, Joel... He doesn't dispute that we had that call, but he doesn't, doesn't remember it. And, and I guess I can't blame him. <laughs> it's a guy saying, like, did you remember that? I don't recall. <laughs> <laughs> but what's yeah. the beauty of that, though? You had a reporter, a foreign reporter, that called her mom in Australia. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, of course. In the afternoon, we had a press conference. This was our yeah. our official uh, announcement of this thing. Uh, and uh, after I demonstrated the phone, and by the way, during the demonstration, I, in my clumsy way, I actually misdialed the, the uh, phone number. But I asked the reporters in the audience, would they like to try the phone out? Mm-hmm. And this lady, lady says, can I call Australia? And I said, of course you can call Australia. She picks up the phone and dials it. And sure enough, her mo- she wakes up her mother in the middle of the night uh, and holds this conversation. And these people are all amazed, not realizing that the, the way cell phones work is we were actually talking across the streets. Mm. The cell site, the transmitter for this, uh, for this phone was one that we put on a building across the street from the New York Hilton where we were holding this press conference. And yeah. so the r- radio part was only a few hundred feet. All the rest of it was going uh, through landlines and trans- mm-hmm. uh, trans-Pacific cables and so forth. So it, it was still a, a remarkable event. And uh, the few uh, reporters that were there, and by the way, it was not a huge event, uh, were amazed, and, and by the way, this New York event turned out to be very successful. We got uh, we got uh, publicity uh, everywhere, and then when we went to Washington, we just mm-hmm. kind of set the stage. Uh, and there in Washington, we actually got congressmen, uh, FCC commissioners, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of government officials uh, to actually uh, move around, walk around with us get in a car and drive around and talk on this portable telephone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and all that happened uh, in 1973. Uh, still, the, uh, the wheels of government moved very slowly. Mm-hmm. It was not until 1983, 10 years later, that there was commercial service, that you could go out <laughs> to a store and buy a phone. Fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful story. The reason why I wanted to plug that in, because it was interesting. You know how like people always say, who do you call? And the most important person. And of course, you got this lady reporter calling her mama <laughs> in Australia. So it's a double thing. I mean, it shows that's where the call goes to. And plus, not to mention, it's intercontinental. <laughs> you bet. You bet. 
And by the way, I did I did mention I I think I mentioned in the book that this mm-hmm. uh, if it wasn't for that newspaper reporter, I wouldn't be on this uh, f- uh, phone with you right now because <laughs> I, I was so busy talking to him, and I stepped into the street. And almost got nailed by a New York taxi cab, <laughs> only because this guy pulled me back that I survived, and so I can be here to talk to you. There you go. And one of our Facebook friends, Jennifer is a wonderful person. Jennifer Trop from Facebook wanted me to share this with you. Thanks, Marty. You rock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very nice of him to say that. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. I'm not sure I know what that vernacular is about you, Rock, but I think it's a good thing. It is. It's a good thing. It's the kind of thing where, like, right on. Hooray. <laughs> High five. Yeah. I, I got it. I, I, thanks for translating. <laughs> <laughs> what thoughts went into the designing process of the first mobile phone? Uh, first of all, you know, the technology itself, we had been working on it in our laboratories. We were making mm-hmm. uh, two-way radios that were handheld, but we had never put all these things together. Uh, and the, what the team did was absolutely remarkable. They actually, in a period of three months, we actually invented stuff to, to be able to take what uh, at that time was a, a, a 25 30-pound device that was sitting in a car running on a car battery and Mm -hmm. squeezing it down uh, into a thing that you could hold in your hand and hold it up to your ear. Mm -hmm. So uh, starting right from the antenna, from the idea that you could talk and listen uh, at the same time, from the idea that you could talk on hundreds of radio channels uh, all in one uh, handheld portable, uh, none of these things had ever been done, uh, and especially at the frequency that we're doing it. We were doing it in a new frequency band that had never been exercised before. Uh, When I asked the guys to do this, when I told them what my dream was and and what their objective was, uh, they told me, well, it's really not possible. Uh, If you'd say we could do it, we're going to try, but they would not commit to doing it. They didn't believe that they could achieve that. Uh, in a period of three months. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not only did they do it, but they actually beat it by a week or two. Uh, And uh, (laughs) I I thought they were wonderful. And and, uh, by the time they got there, they thought they were wonderful too. (laughs) Beautiful story. I tell my friends, I'm going to be talking to the guy who invented cell phone, right? And I say, I got a bone to pick with him, but in a good way. (laughs) I'm just kidding when I say that. Marty, you know that you can't create order without creating disorder somewhere else, right? It's a closed system. There's always something that is affected. So at the time the cell phone came out, I was working for a company that we have several restaurants, okay? I remembered personally all the various nine restaurants' numbers, the managers' numbers, all my district managers' numbers and so forth. I was right out of college and it was great. When I got my first cell phone and when I could program those numbers into the cell phones, right, my memory was gone. When we started building restaurant 10, 11, 12, 13, I couldn't remember anything as far as numbers because we took it for granted that we just can program it in the phone. Fast forward to today, think about it. We tell people, hey, I know people, no problem. If I get stopped somewhere, I can call. 
But guess what? If you lose your cell phone, who are you going to call? And that comes back to full circle in terms of when you were telling us just now that you have a list of people in the little book that you're carrying with you. How's that? Well, there are two sides to that coin, uh, Johnny. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true. You don't have to remember all those phone numbers. But think of all those brain cells you have now that you can put to work productively doing creative stuff instead of, of, of uh, remembering a whole bunch of numbers. Uh, and that is what the future is. Uh, we're nice we're uh, unload, uh, <laughs> unloading all these trivial tasks from our brain right, and making right. our brains available. We're going to let the computers do that. We'll let the computers uh, do all our memory. We'll let the computers do all the looking up of, of information. Right. Uh, right. And we do the part the computers can't do. We think. We reason. We imagine. Mm -hmm. Computers right. can't do all those things. So right. think about it. That's, that's probably why you're talking to me today. You, if you if you had a paper phone book, you you probably would be still to, uh, working on it for a restaurant somewhere. <laughs> I agree. But that's the fascinating thing about people don't realize in terms of we're living in a closed system in some ways from a broader perspective. I was telling a friend of mine just the other day, if somebody took my cell phone and I'm out in the boondock somewhere and yeah, I know people who you're going to call. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have one, an abiding confidence in people. People yeah, have yeah. survived from the time they were in caves. <laughs> Uh, if you lost your cell phone, you would figure out what to do, Teddy. I have I I know. confidence in you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a thought. It's really funny. I was like, okay. But these are the things that we take for granted in a way. So that's the difference. I know you mentioned about technology changing the world, and you're very passionate about that. Can you tell us some of the ways that you feel this new technology can help with poverty? Well, people in this country, and I hope that, uh, the people listening will be interested mm -hmm. enough to uh, get the book to read about what has happened with uh, cell phone technologies in places like Africa, India, Mexico, mm -hmm. uh, where there are lots of poor people. Uh, the United Nations did a study uh, in Africa and determined that over a period of 20 years, over a billion people, 1.2 billion people moved out of severe poverty, largely because the cell phone was there. And mm, what did the cell phone wow. do? Sounds crazy, but they, it gave them a way to move money around where they never had that ability before. It gave mm -hmm. them a way to save money. The cell phone introduced a whole new way of, of managing money. It was called M-Pesa, where you could actually use your cell phone to store the uh, amount of money you had in the bank to move that money from one place to another. Uh, and that ability to do commerce uh, energized people enough so that, that, as I say, over a billion people moved out of poverty. Well, you know, mm -hmm. you translate that into uh, countries all over the world, and everybody can move up the economic ladder. There's no reason why we all can't be rich, and I'm really serious mm -hmm. about it. It's going to take uh, it's going to take a few generations for that to happen, sure. uh, but but if we can. Uh, get people to be rational and stop spending money on war uh, and spend it on improving productivity, uh, then, then that is going to be a, a, an important contribution of communications. But that's only the beginning because we have also 
uh, uh, are in the on the brink of revolutionizing medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once again, it's happening not in in uh, c- uh, countries like ours, uh, but uh, as an example in Mexico, there are villages in Mexico that do not have a doctor today, have never had one, uh, and now have. If somebody gets sick, uh, if as an example, they have an eye problem. Uh, there, there's somebody in the town that has a cell phone, uh, has a little gadget that sticks on uh, the uh, cell phone on the cell phone camera, and a doctor in Mexico City can diagnose them from Mexico City and tell them what medicine they need, uh, and and uh, avoid them going blind in Mexico City, in mm-hmm. in, in a village in Mexico. So. Uh, that's a precursor of much more efficient medicine. There is mm-hmm. the potential for all of us to have devices. Calling us a cell phone is kind of ridiculous. In the first right. place, I never understood why they call it a cell phone. <laughs> but 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 call, even calling it a phone uh, is is ridiculous. Uh, having a device on you that can connect you to the rest of the world and have a computer. Uh, analyze your body all the time and and understand that you're getting sick before you get before the bugs in your body have taken over that potential mm-hmm. is that there won't be any disease can you imagine that no, oh, no it's covid yeah yeah no flu no heart attacks so it's mm-hmm. that also is going to take a few generations but it's starting now we already right. know how to put a patch on your body that will keep you from getting a heart attack. Right. And, and uh, when that uh, gets uh, resolved, uh, they will start working on the next disease. So someday, uh, you and I are not going to experience that, Johnny, but but our great-great-grandchildren uh, will be in a world where disease right. was a thing of the past. Right, right. I totally agree. I think it's fascinating. I just recently discovered the ability to actually scan a document with my phone and send it to the appropriate people. It's a scanned document. I mean, when was a time when we could do that <laughs> without having to need an actual scanner itself to scan documents and fax machines and so forth? Well, it's really good you say that because uh, my wife, is, uh, uh, who is much smarter than I am and who is also an entrepreneur, she uh, invented the uh, jitterbug phone. I don't know if you know what that <laughs> is, but it's a, a simple phone for for uh, older people and people mm-hmm. who want simplicity. But yeah. she has created a, a system where you could do just what you just said. You can mm-hmm. scan a document, and this system will understand what that document is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's a bill, it will pay the thing without you knowing it. Uh, if it's a, a document wow. that has to be uh, stored, and uh, it'll store it someplace where you can find it. Uh, mm-hmm. So you, you that, that scan uh, will be managed by an artificial intelligence that yeah. is part of you. Your part right. intelligence that the document will be private. Nobody will be able to look at it. So uh, what what uh, my wife Arlene is doing, her name is Arlene Harris, by the mm-hmm. way. And what what she's doing uh, is an extension of what you're experiencing uh, right now, uh, and it's back to this thing about uh, your cell phone or whatever this 
artificial intelligence <laughs> now. Is, is the biggest, <laughs> it, it, it's taking over the trivial parts of your life and, yeah. and letting you concentrate on the important things. So true. So true. What advice do you have for aspiring inventors? Well, I think I told you uh, before what the most important thing mm-hmm. is, uh, and that is uh, don't be afraid to imagine things uh, and to reach out and don't pay attention to the people that tell you it can't be done mm-hmm. because uh, at least part of the time it can be done. And if you fail, you're going to learn something. You're going to have a resilience you didn't have before. And the next time you do it, you are going to succeed. But the issue is follow your dreams and do it. And the most mm-hmm. important thing is I, when I wake up in the morning, I look forward to the day. I look forward to learning something new every day, uh, to uh, 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 having fun, to doing something constructive. If mm-hmm. if you can't wake up in the morning and have that feeling, you're doing the wrong things. Go find a different <laughs> job. Go learn something new. But it is such a privilege to be able to do that, to be able to learn every day and to be excited about it. I feel sorry for people uh, that don't have that opportunity. Wonderful. How about first-time entrepreneurs, the ones that always like to invest in something? <laughs> well, you, uh, you know, I hate to keep uh, beating the same drum, yeah. uh, but the, the only thing that's unique about an entrepreneur is the ability to take a chance, mm-hmm. risk. And not everybody can do that, Johnny. Yeah, uh, some people like to be uh, comfortable and safer, and there's nothing wrong with that. You people could contribute, uh, no matter what their attitude is. But they're, yeah. if they're not uh, risk averse, if the people are not afraid to take a chance and try something new, uh, the potential is is enormous. And so, uh, so uh, I'm not adv- uh, uh, advising everybody to become a- an entrepreneur. But if right, you're not right. risk averse. The opportunities to do something different, to make the world better, abound. There are just so many things <laughs> that can be improved in the world today. In fact, mm-hmm. that's one of the problems I have with my wife. Uh, she is brilliant enough to walk around, and no matter what she looks at, she, she thinks, you know, I could do that better. <laughs> so uh, so we, there are so many opportunities to do things better. So uh, if, if anybody has an entrepreneurial bent, uh, they can find something to do uh, that will uh, make the world better, and in the and uh, in, in that course of events, maybe they can get rich at the same time. Beautiful, that's true. As we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Learn something every day, and always look at the positive side of life. Because there is a positive side. The world the world is getting better uh, every day, uh, and everybody can contribute to that and, and make the world better. Beautiful. Marty, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, April 6th. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, BU, 101 Stories of Affirmation, 
determination and female empowerment. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Marty, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a very blessed day. My great pleasure, Johnny. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.